This morning we're beginning a brand new series called Everyone Always. That what we really want to do is help each one of you to learn how to love everyone always, just like Jesus did. And the truth is, we want you to be able to do that even with the difficult people in your life. Now, do any of you have any difficult people in your life? Don't point at them if you're in a room right now or, you know, don't call them right now. But we know that they're there. Now, the first people in my life that I ever learned how to love was my immediate family. And we have a picture here uh, of them. I don't know what we were thinking about in the 1970s when we took uh, messages uh, or we took pictures like this. But the truth is, is that that's my family. And I love them. And you can see all of the crazy of the 70s in that picture. And then after a while, I learned not just to love my immediate family, but to love my extended family as well. My grandparents, my aunts, uncles, cousins. And then I'll never forget being in Sunday school when we were actually told that we were to love our neighbors. In fact, Jesus actually said one of the greatest commandments is not just to love God, but also to love your neighbor as Yourself. Now, loving your neighbor may be an interesting thing to do, but uh, what's really kind of a, a focus is when I was growing up, it was to kind of love the neighbors that were close to me. So the neighbors that were on my right, for instance, were easy to love. That was the Whaley's. And uh, the Whaley's just loved us so much. And uh, they got us Christmas gifts. And they also were able to, uh, you know, give us some things like goodies from their garden. And so uh, it was really great to have neighbors like the Whaley's. And then to the left of us were the Aldersons, and they were awesome. My best friend Jeff lived there, and uh, his dad, Lloyd, was awesome, and he would encourage us and would actually buy us all kinds of uh, different, uh, you know, pop and pizza and, and take us to uh, sprint car races. But the neighbors who lived right across the street from us were the McAdams. And the McAdams were uh, a couple that just were kind of mean and old and crotchety. They were very difficult for us to know how we could love them because there was no love. And then on top of that, uh, they had the biggest house of anyone in the neighborhood. And also, uh, they were individuals who had dogs that were always around and they had the best looking dogs. And Mrs. McAdams, I wasn't sure or not, but I think she actually worked for the CIA because she had binoculars. And she would constantly be kind of looking at us. And she would kind of see if my brother and I were doing anything wrong. And if we were, then she would tell my parents. Now, even though I knew that Jesus said we were to love our neighbor, I don't think he ever quite knew Mrs. McAdams. 
Folks, there are some people in your lives that are just difficult to love. I mean, there are some people that we struggle to love. No matter who you are, if you were honest, you'd say, yeah, there are some people that I find it tough to love. And so what we're going to be talking about over these next few kind of uh, weeks is how we can love everyone always. You see, the truth is uh, we all have people like that in our lives who are difficult to love. Now, where Jesus uh, kind of refers to a neighbor, he, he's quite clear that he's not only talking about our family or our friends or an extended family, but he's talking about everyone, every single person that you come into contact with. Because when Jesus says to love your neighbor, he's not just talking about your physical neighbors, but he's talking about everyone. He's talking about those you can't stand. He's talking about those who don't like you. He's talking about those who are your rivals. He's talking about those who wound you. You know who your neighbor is, don't you? It's everyone. And Jesus says that it is important for you to love everyone always. Well, this is Jesus's invitation to you and I. But it's hard, isn't it? Because even though we would not say it out loud, you and I honestly really believe that there are some people who are unlovable. Now, it doesn't include you, but it includes some of those other people who we think are unlovable. And do you know why we think this? It's because of one word, and that word is fear. You see, everything kind of falls under one of two words, either fear or love. Now, we know what fear is. It is the desire to build up a wall towards other people, to kind of protect ourselves from them, to separate ourselves from them. Fear is keeping secrets so that we're never fully found out or fully known or fully seen. That's what fear is. And sometimes when Jesus invites us to kind of love a wide spectrum of people, including our neighbors, that includes everyone, what happens is that fear often comes to the surface. The summer after my eighth grade year, our family moved to Anderson, Indiana. And when we moved there, I only had one goal in mind going into this new school, and it was to make the basketball team. And I remember going up to a guy that was at the church that my dad pastored, and it was one of the first weeks at church, and I just asked him, I said, if you want to get better in basketball, uh, where should I go play? And the guy kind of thought about it, and then he said, the boys club. And then he went on to say these words, but don't ever go there. 
I'm like, really? Like, that's what he's telling me? Now, what I didn't know is that the boys club was located in the highest crime area in the entire city. It was on Arrow Avenue, and everybody knew that when you were in the 80s, growing up in the 80s, you didn't go down Arrow Avenue at night especially, and that's where the boys club was located. And so uh, I didn't care. I wanted to get better at basketball, and if that's where they were, that's where I wanted to go. And so I actually asked my mom to actually take me there. And I'll never forget going the very first day to the boys club. And when I walked in, every single eye was on me. Every adult, every single kid. And the reason was, is I was the only white kid who walked in to the club. And everyone started looking at me. And to be quite honest, as I walked in, I started to have fear kind of rising to the surface. Then I walked into the gym and you would think that since I'm kind of fearful, I would just kind of wait and see what happens. But when I walked in, there was a dead play and I said, I got next game. And I started watching these guys play and they looked at me when I said, I got next game and they just started laughing. (laughs) And they're like, you, you want the next game? But they let me go ahead and I had the next game and they killed me. They were faster than me. They were stronger than me. They were so much better than I was. And I'm sure that they thought after that very first day that I would never come back. But they were wrong. And I did. In fact, I kept going back week after week after week after week. Until finally, I actually made one of their AAU, or their AAU teams called the Ghostbusters. We actually, our uniforms had a ghost on the front, and we used to just kind of, kind of uh, simplify our team's name and just call ourselves the Bustas. And what we were all about was we were going to bust you up when we played, and we had a great team. And I learned to know so many of the guys And they became some of my best friends. But the greatest learning that I found was this. That if you choose love, you can drive out fear. The beauty of love is that you can actually drive out fear. And that's what I want to talk about today. Now, the way we're going to discuss this is by looking at three kind of questions. The first one is what love is. The second, what love isn't. And then finally, what love does. Now, in order to kind of talk about these three questions, I want us to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture that many of you know, and you probably heard at weddings before as well. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, Corinth was in present day kind of Rome, and you kind of need to understand what Corinth was like. It was kind of like present day Las Vegas. It was hyper-sexualized, it was hyper-individualistic, and it was hyper-materialistic. 
they coined the term long before Vegas did. Whatever happened in Corinth needed to stay in Corinth. And so this guy by the name of Paul, he goes there and he starts a church. And there's this Jesus movement that's going on. And his greatest desire is that the world would know when they came to this big mega center that there was a brand new way of loving everyone always. So our text starts in uh, the fourth verse of chapter 13, as Paul says this, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So let's look at this question. What is love? First of all, what Paul says is love is Patient. Love is patient. Usain Bolt uh, holds the world record for the 100 and 200 meter dash. He is the fastest man in the world. And uh, several years ago, he was at a track meet. And as he was in the blocks getting ready to take off, uh, he jumped before the starter's gun went off. And... When this happened, you might say that he jumped the gun. And after uh, they figured that he jumped the gun, they actually uh, came on the intercom and said, hey, uh, one of the runners uh, kind of had a false start and they're disqualified. And as Usain Bolt is walking back, the fastest man, he knew it was him. And so he took off his uniform. He threw it down because he realized that he had been disqualified. Now, folks, this is what patience is. Patience is the art of knowing to wait for it. Patience is the art of knowing to wait for it. You see, many of us have a tendency to jump the gun, don't we? Uh, God comes to us and he wants us to do something or we see something in God, but there's something that just is taking place and it's not in our time frame and so we jump the gun. Uh, this happens with people all the time. People are talking and all of a sudden we jump the gun and we tell them that they're wrong or we interrupt them or we give them our own opinion. But love knows how to wait for it. Love knows how to be patient. And my question for you today, this morning, is this. How patient are you? When it comes to loving people, maybe even difficult people, how patient are you? The second thing that Paul says love is, is that love is kind. You see, kindness is an abundance of meeting a need. You see someone who's down, you see someone who's discouraged, you see someone who's depressed and you go to them and you give kindness. And when you offer out of your abundance of your life to them a word of kindness, you remind them who they are created to be. And just with a word, folks, you can build a person up. You can actually lift 
their spirit. So, my question for you this week is, who could you show kindness to? Could it be your boss? Could it be a co-worker? Could it be a neighbor, a family, a friend? But who could it be? Maybe it's a stranger. Maybe it's even an enemy. But where could you take your abundance and you could actually meet a need? So love is patient. Love is kind. And then Paul kind of turns a corner and he tells us what love is not. What love isn't. First of all, he says love is not envious. Envy is that thing that kind of boils within us. And I believe it can be one of the most dangerous vices that is in our day. It's a thing that where you see your neighbor and you look at what maybe they have. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's their house. Maybe it's just their clothes. Maybe it's that they have a bigger apartment than you do. And all of a sudden, there's something that boils up within you. And it really decides within your life that you don't want them to have that. You start to celebrate the fact that you wish they didn't have what they had rather than celebrating the blessings of what God has given them. You just wish it would be taken away from them. Envy kind of boils up within. And scripture actually says this. Envy rots the bones. Envy will rot your bones. Folks, love isn't envious. Rather, it looks at the blessings of others and you're able to say, man, I'm so happy for you. God has been so good to you. I'm so grateful for the way you've been blessed. Secondly, love isn't boastful. Boastful is a world, is a word that actually kind of revolves all around you. The, the world revolves Around you. It's saying that, that God is not the central character of the story, but you are. And regularly, you and I are tempted, no matter who you are, no matter how spiritual you think you are, many times we're tempted to make the glory and the good things about us rather than giving glory to God. And Paul says, love doesn't do that. Now, you might be sitting there right now and you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's not me, Chris. I mean, I'm not like that ever. Uh, I'm not a person who's really all concerned about that. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever been at work before when all of a sudden someone takes one of your ideas and they tell the boss and they don't give you credit? Or what about if you're a student, let's say you're doing group work and all of a sudden you have this idea, but as you share the idea, uh, someone else takes it and they tell the teacher and you don't get credit for it. Well, when that happens, you know what happens to most people? They fume. They get very, very angry and they're kind of looking around going, well, what are you talking about? That was my idea. Why didn't you get credit for it? That's me. And every time we do that, 
we kind of become boastful when everyone else is celebrating whatever the idea is and we want the credit for ourselves. We have some boastfulness towards that. And so Paul is very clear that love doesn't work that way. Love is not boastful. Paul goes on to say these words, love isn't prideful. My uh, daughter, Jordan, uh, played soccer this year. And at the end of the soccer year, they had a Halloween party, kind of a costume party. And uh, all of the kids dressed up like different things. But one had this inflatable dinosaur costume. Have you seen this? They're, they're like really cool. The kid's there and the, the costume's just down below. And inside there's a battery. And uh, they push the battery. And all of a sudden it inflates. And they get real puffed out and it becomes the costume now that's what pride does folks pride always kind of puffs up you begin to say well you know what i'm not good enough in my own skin so i need to puff myself up a little bit more i need to exaggerate a few things so that people think i'm better than i actually am folks to the world pride is one of the most dangerous things Because when you begin to kind of puff yourself up, you lose your center. You lose your foundation. And all of a sudden, you kind of fall over and you topple to the side. You see, folks, love isn't prideful. Also, love isn't dishonorable. It's not disrespectful. This is where you choose not to consider another person's feelings or needs. It's when you do what you want, when you want, and you ignore other people's feelings. You ignore what your spouse thinks. You ignore what what your friends think. You ignore what your co-worker's opinion is. It's when you have a tendency to interrupt other people When they're not done talking or you don't apologize when you do wrong or you refuse to ever apologize. And it's when you kind of take your cell phone and every time it beeps, you ignore the person that's in front of you and you're more focused on what the beep is about. So I was thinking about it this week and what I'd like to do is just give you. Uh, A few things that you might actually choose to use to know how to love and honor people better as we begin the new year. In fact, if you're uh, watching this, uh, what I'd like you to do is get your uh, phone real quick because I want you to take a picture of the screen in just a moment. If you're like, I'm watching it on my phone bunch, then if you would just get a pen real quick, write it down and I'm going to give you Four things, and I just want you to pick one, just one of these, that you're going to work on as you go into the new year to love and honor other people. And so here they are. First of all, see every person as God's child. Always believe the best in others. Don't interrupt and apologize quickly. Now, if you would, just go ahead and take a picture of the screen right now and choose one of them that you're going to work at for the new year. Which one are you going to choose to work on? 
Now, I never ask you guys to do anything that I'm not willing to do. So the one that I'm going to work on, because I struggle with it sometimes, is don't interrupt. To allow people to get all the way through rather than interrupting. And then if I'm able to do that, I'm able to honor them, to respect them. Love also is not self-seeking. Jesus says that the key of all of life is to seek first the kingdom of God. But it's hard to seek the kingdom of God when you place yourself at the center of everything. When you put yourself first. You see, our job as Christ followers, if you are a Christ follower, is to continue to see that God's story is the most important one. Now, you may know of people who are self-seeking. They're only talking to you because they want to be able to get to your boss. They're only talking to you because they want to hook up with one of your friends. They're only talking to you because they have an agenda that serves them. But love isn't self-seeking. Love is actually putting God first. Also, Love isn't easily angered. Love isn't easily angered. Now, uh, the word anger in the Greek, which the New Testament is written in, that word anger actually has this image of knives being sharpened. Anger is an emotion of fear. This is kind of sharpening things to a point that you can attack. Has this ever happened to you before? Someone texts you something, and it's a little bit snarky. Uh, It might even be very, very curt and short. And all of a sudden, you read that, and you don't know anything that's going on the other side, but you start getting upset and angry. And before you can do anything else, your anger kind of sharpens your finger, and you go ahead and you send a mean, nasty text right back to them. Or maybe... There's something that someone says to you and you get angry and so you want to get right back at them. And so you wound them with your words. Now, for some of you, it's not words, but it's looks. You can give a look like anybody. I mean, you can give a mean, kind of nasty kind of look to somebody else. Or you might just have the eye roll where you roll your eyes. For some of you, it's not a word, it's not a look, but when someone angers you, you want to fight. And sometimes you do fight. You push, you grab, you hold on, you pick something up, you throw it across the room. But love is not anger. You see, folks, love isn't easily angered at all. It doesn't keep track of the wrongs either. You see, love isn't a scoreboard. Uh, In marriages, I see this all the time. People like to keep score when there's some kind of argument. Oh, you said that about me? Minus two points. You did that to me? Minus two points. Oh, you were nice today? I'll give you two points. And many of us kind of believe that love is kind of this scoreboard. Oh, you didn't wash the dishes? Uh, you, you know, you, you actually were mean and nasty to me? Oh, uh, you spent money for that? Minus five 
points. But it's not just with marriages. It can be with friendships. It can be with your family, anything. That many times what we do is we keep a scoreboard based upon whether or not a person has been kind to us or not. And yet the truth is this, folks. That love isn't about a scoreboard. Love constantly pushes all in. When Jesus went to the cross, he he loved so much the world that he didn't just kind of say, I'll hold back some, but he went all in. He didn't keep score because love isn't a scoreboard. Finally, love is not a delighter of evil. You know, when you think about it, uh, love is never delighting in evil. But evil sometimes is co-opted for good. Evil often sometimes converts itself from good. For example, uh, think about these words, money, sex, and power. Beautiful things, things that are given to us as gifts. But when we kind of have this... Uh, Innocence and integrity of those three words, and they get into the wrong hands, the good can be co-opted for the negative. And many people delight in co-opting good for something that's evil. They like to convert good to evil. But Paul says that love doesn't do this. Love doesn't delight in evil. So, so far, we've kind of talked about a couple things. What is love? What love isn't? Now I want to talk about what love does. First of all, love rejoices in the truth. We need to be the kind of people who celebrate the truth every single time we see it. When the truth transforms somebody's life, we should celebrate it. When the truth challenges us to change or to actually forgive somebody, we should celebrate it. This week, for instance, I had a person that asked for forgiveness for something and, and I wasn't mad at them. I wanted to celebrate them for taking that step to allow truth to convict them than to give forgiveness. When we see truth, we celebrate it. We rejoice in it. This is what love does. Also, love always protects. Now, the word protect in the Greek, uh, again, the language of the New Testament, is this image of a roof or a covering, a canopy, a shelter. And when you know someone who is hurting, when you know someone who is alone, when you know someone who has been scared in some way, love welcomes them under a covering. It gives them protection. It gives them safety. Hospitality literally means this, to welcome the stranger in. And that's what love does. Love welcomes people in who are on the fringe. Love welcomes people in who are struggling. Love welcomes people in who are alone. Love welcomes people in who think they can't take another 
step. Next, love always trust. Love always trust. When my girls were little, they loved to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Now, it wasn't because of the pizza. It wasn't even because of the games. You know what it was because of? The tokens. I mean, it was all about the tokens. And so if they had a good behavior and they respected each other and they had a good attitude, we'd give them a token. If they were nice to one another, we'd give them a token. And it's a lot like adults sometimes. That adults choose to share their love like tokens. If you do something real nice, I'll give you a token. If you're kind to me, I'll give you a token. If you're respectful, I'll give you a token. And all of a sudden, love is all based upon what others do, and then we give tokens. But this is what I want you to know, that true love, folks, has no token limit. Uh, It's all pushed in, like I said before. In fact, when Jesus went to the cross, what he basically was saying is, I'm all in for everyone always. I will love everyone always by going all in with all the tokens. And you never have to worry about that because his love is not based upon your behavior. His love is based upon the fact that he loves you and you are worth going all in with his love. The next thing, love always hopes. Love always hopes. Hope is kind of that vision of what might happen. It is a vision of what is possible because of God. I have a couple right now that I've been counseling who have had some very difficult kind of marriage issues in their life. They've actually had counselors give up on them. They've had some uh, people in their own family that have given up on them. They've even given up on each other at times. But as I have met with them, I have this hope that God is able to redeem things that seem unredeemable because he redeemed me. And I've seen him do it with multiple different marriages and in people's life before. When it felt like there was no way to put it back together... God actually did. And so I'm committed to helping them as far as I can to do whatever I can to help their marriage to be restored because I believe in a God of hope. Also, love perseveres. Love perseveres. It it never, ever stops. Is there somebody that you have stopped loving? I mean, is there somebody that you've kind of given up on? Now, we need to have healthy boundaries so that we don't get hurt, but we should never give up on anybody. Because there is no person that is not a prayer away from God actually doing a mighty thing in their life. I've shared with you before that my brother has been uh, not in our family for The last four years. I haven't seen him in over four years. But my parents and myself, we continue to pray more and more and more because we know 
that love has hope and that it doesn't give up on other people. It perseveres. And God has the ability to do what you and I don't always see. So persevere. Never stop. And finally, if you can do that, then you can believe that love will never fail. If you can live a life of being a person who does what love is and then who chooses not to do the things that Paul says love isn't, then you can have a love that will never fail. And when you choose to go all in, just like God went all in for you, because you're patient and you're kind and you're loving, then you're able to live a life like Christ. Because God's love never fails. Now, before we close, what I'd like to do is to give you simply one kind of practical thing to do going into this new year. One big thing that you can do for others to show love. This is something you can do for your family, for your friends, for your neighbors, for your co-workers. You can even do this for your enemies or for a complete stranger. And it's this. To value other people above yourself. Did you just say that, Chris? Yeah. To value other people above yourself. Scripture says this. Love values others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. You know, I was thinking this week, what would it look like if this week you and I could raise the value of every person who comes into our path? The person at the grocery store, the person at the fast food window, the person at the gas station, your boss, your co-workers your child's teacher, your family, your friends. What would it look like if every person you came into contact with, you actually valued them above yourself? Well, I'll tell you what I think would happen. What would happen is that you would lift that person's spirit up They would begin to believe and kind of feel that, man, this person thinks I'm created to be something more than I actually am. And you could do that. But you know, there's going to be something that will try to prevent you from doing that. And it's just one word. And it's the word fear. Fear will always try to jump in and make you not reach out or love somebody always. And so this week you'll come to a crossroad and you'll have the opportunity to choose whether you're going to love everyone always or fear everyone always. And the choice is up to you. What are you going to choose? To love 
or to turn to fear. Now, (laughs) we're going to do something a little bit different than what we've done um, kind of as a closing. Typically about this time, uh, I'll go ahead and pray, and I will pray in just a second. But throughout this series, what we're going to be doing is asking all of you to make a declaration. Something at the end that we're going to say, as we go through this week, we're committing to this. Something that calls us to action. And so right now, wherever you are, I just want you to repeat after me this declaration. Repeat after me. This week, I will not let fear win. I will love my neighbor. And I will love everyone always. Let's pray. Loving God, help us to lift up everyone always this week. Every person that we come into contact with. Help us to value others above ourselves. Help us to love everyone always. And God, please give us the strength even to love difficult people. Because the truth is, God, that we're difficult at times too. And yet you still choose to love us. Help us to love like you this week, even when people are unlovable. Now, the reality is, is that for some of you, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. You've never made a commitment to that. You've always felt to yourself, well, there's too many things in my past in which God could not forgive me for. But I want you to know that God's love for you is not based upon your behavior, but it's based upon his nature. And the truth is, his nature is God is love. He loves you so much. And he says that if you'll just come to me and you'll confess some of that junk in your life, some of those things in your life that you've done in your past, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to put you down. I'm going to forgive you and I'll love you. And that's what Jesus did. Instead of saying you've got to earn tokens, Jesus said, I'll go and earn eternal life for you by dying on a cross because of my great love for you. And so today, if you're ready to give your one and only life to Christ, if you're ready to say, I need you, Jesus, I need you in my life, I need your grace, I need your strength, I need your love, And I'm going to invite you to share a prayer. And it's not a prayer that you pray by yourself, but we're praying it together with you in community. And so right now, I'd like all of us to simply join in this prayer as you repeat after me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sins. Make me brand new. I believe Jesus died for me and he rose again so I could live for you. 
Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you. I know your love lasts always. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.